Good morning. Just a couple other things. The last uh, Sunday of this month, which is October 31st, uh, we are going to try something different. Um, we're going to do maybe a community meal. Uh, maybe it'll be outside if the weather is nice. You know, we'll, we'll kind of communicate the details as we come into that week. So definitely uh, pay attention to your email. Uh, we'll send a newsletter out probably a few days before uh, that day. But just as an opportunity to uh, interact with each other and just kind of sit at tables and, and talk. I don't even know what we'll do for food. Something simple, maybe pancakes or something. Um, but also on that day, we want to do, and I think it would be awesome if it was outside, we want to do a water baptism. Uh, there's a couple people in the church, one particular one who's been nagging me for months, <clears throat> sitting kind of in that back area there. <laughs> when are we going to do the next baptism? Uh, so we're going to do it uh, the last uh, Sunday of October. So if you would like to be water baptized, um, just let us know, reach out. Go to the website, send an email through the website, comes right to me, or just talk to us after service. Talk to me after service. Uh, we would love to do it. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. You know, it's hard to explain to your coworkers, right? Um, but it's something that we should do out of obedience to Jesus. Um, if we're a follower of Christ, we, we do this thing called baptism as it's really a symbol of this. It's an outward symbol of something that has happened inwardly to our lives, that we've kind of died with Jesus and we've risen, come up out of the water, risen with Christ. Um, so if, if you would like to uh, be baptized or if you just want more information, like you're not really sure about it, we would love to sit down with you and we'll go over the scriptures and we'll teach you about baptism uh, and prepare you, even in practical ways. But it's nothing to be afraid of. Um, I, you know, all followers of Jesus um, pretty much are, should be baptized. Are, most of them are uh, water baptized. So uh, it's, I think it, they're some of the greatest services that we have, uh, times of great celebration and cheering, and it's a very exciting thing. So uh, let me know if you're interested in that. And, you know, for those of you, just, you know, come with joy on that day. And um, I'll communicate the details of that, that particular Sunday uh, as we get closer to it. Again, hopefully we can do it outside. I think it would be kind of nice to keep it out in the fresh air. Uh, I think it would be wonderful. But really the, the spirit of it is to get to know each other um, you know, when you come in that morning, we'll just put you at a table, maybe a table of six or a table of eight, and you don't know who you're going to get, but, you know, we'll just, because I, you know, kind of want people just to, you know, just talk talk to each other and share their stories with each other. I think we, we need to do um, more of that as a community. Uh, sometimes the Sunday service doesn't lend well to that, right? It's just a little bit of time before, maybe a little time after, everybody's kind of moving and different direction, just saying hi to each other, which is fine. You know, we have the five-minute greeting time. Some people love that, some people don't. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we all want to feel connected, and that's something that I've uh, become more and more convinced of. Nobody wants to be in a church where nobody knows them. Uh, nobody really wants to attend a church, and really nobody knows their name, nobody knows their story. You know, we want to feel that sense of connection.
So this is just a small step in that direction of just, you know, taking the fifth Sunday and uh, sitting around tables and just talking. So we're going to do that. Um, Yeah, one other thing, too, kind of in the same spirit, is if you are new with us and you have questions about the church, over in this area here, uh, to my left, your right, there's a table we call it the welcome table. Uh, there's some actually little bags there if you're brand new with us and you haven't gotten a bag, we'd love to give you a, I don't know what's in the bag, it's always something different, different surprises, but we would love to just welcome you with, you know, uh, a welcome bag. Uh, but we we are here, I'm not in a hurry, uh, I'm the pastor of the church, I'm not in a hurry after service, um, I'm here to answer questions. There's other people on staff who are more, like Catherine who came up here, who she'll be probably over in that area as well. But ask us questions, you know, don't, don't just, uh, there's no stupid questions, there, there really isn't. Uh, if you have questions about the church or questions about the sermon or theology, um, we love questions. Um, I'm a question asker. A lot of people in this church love this church because of the question asking spirit. Uh, we definitely haven't figured everything out. But we love to, uh, to talk. So we want to help you if you have those really difficult questions or just simple questions about the church. We're here for you. Uh, that's what we do. We're glad you're here. We want to do everything we can to make you feel at home and to, you know, to kind of make you a part of the community. It's a daunting thing sometimes, too, if you're new. To, you know, how do you become a part of a, of a church community, of really any community, but uh, it's not it's not so so easy, you know. Sometimes it's, it takes some some work. And how, how do I do it? What are the pathways uh, to really get to know people? We can help you with that. We want to kind of be your guides with that and help you. Uh, so yeah, come up, talk to us after. I'll be available. Amen. All right, so we're still in the book of Proverbs. We could probably be in this until Jesus comes home because there's so much uh, there's so much to t- talk about in the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to take a few verses today, some really difficult verses, and try to give some sense to it. You know, what, what do these verses mean for us in our everyday life? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the verses first. They're found in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 24 to 26, just three verses. And they go like this. <clears throat> Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And this is one of those portions I, I think that we have to really handle with care. Because we could just go out and be like, oh, yeah, that's it. It's a, we got to start rebuking the wicked. And, you know, we just go running out there and we're every person who's doing anything wrong or that we think is wrong, we're like getting in their face and just, uh, you know, rebuking them. And how many have met some Christians like that? <laughs> I've been rebuked 
by Christians on the street at times, and you know they don't know that I'm a Christian. They don't know that I'm a pastor. You know, they're just like, they don't even know anything about me. And they're like, just giving it to me. And I'm like trying to tell them, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer. I'm a pastor. And there's like, they're not even listening. So that would be the extreme on one end, okay, um, of just going out there and rebuking people. That is not, of course, what we want to do. We want to be like Jesus. He's our model. Uh, Jesus definitely rebuked people at times. But he also listened and had compassion and spoke just the right thing at just the right time. But we know one thing about Jesus. He told the truth to people. He was never dishonest uh, with anyone. He would always give an honest answer to a question. So that's what I want to talk about, the importance of speaking the truth to people. So in this passage above the word, the word Wicked is used twice, actually. And the word, I believe, is used very differently throughout the Bible than it is uh, in, our, in our culture, right? You know, in the month of October, Halloween month, um, you, see, you do see the word pop up once in a while, right? Maybe on a, on a movie, the title of a movie, or some kind of costume that's described as wicked, a wicked witch, Outfit, the Wicked Witch of the West, right? What is that? Um, Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, you guys know it. <laughs> you know, it's, or we say things like, I mean, I come from the 80s, you know, it's, something was wicked cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys, if that is even a thing, but maybe it's gone away. <laughs> but that's, we, every, we put wicked before so many different things. Wicked awesome, wicked cool, wicked whatever. Um, but it didn't really mean morally repulsive. It just, I don't know, it was a way to amplify whatever we were talking about. So, in the everyday use of the word, kind of maybe closer to a Bible concept, the only time someone would call a person wicked, like in a, not just like, yeah, he's wicked, cool, but I mean, like that person is it's just wicked. Or maybe I feel like people would maybe use the word evil more. That, that, that person is just evil. Would be in an extreme case, right? Um, you know, we could give different examples. Hitler, uh, somebody who exploits children, sex trafficking. I mean, we could just, we could probably go list a certain category of terrible atrocious things that certain individuals might do, and we would call those things wicked. But the Bible defines wicked much differently. It's, it's, it's more like all of us are wicked. Jesus actually called us evil. <laughs> um, sorry, well, I'm not evil. I'm a good person. Well, he said no one's good. No one is righteous. And there is this kind of uh, innate wickedness that we all have, just this sinful nature. And it's very, un- very uh, important to understand this distinction between the way the world thinks about the word wicked and how Scripture talks about wicked. Throughout the book of Proverbs, actually, you see this contrast uh, throughout that there's the righteous and the wicked, and they're, uh, or the wise and the fool. You know, th- there's this 
That's what we're called when we are not living our lives in submission to God. So uh, I'm not encouraging us to start calling people wicked or non-Christians wicked. I think that would be, this is where language really matters, and we have to be careful how we use biblical language, right? Because that would be confusing to people since they define wicked, people in the culture define wicked as someone who behaves in an extremely repulsive manner or a morally disgusting way. So again, I'm explaining this because we'll miss the point of these verses if we don't understand that the Bible describes all people who are not submitted to God's will as wicked, evil, sinful, at enmity with God. And we could talk more about this, but it's not that all sinners are equally sinful. We know that's not true. Um, But the Bible teaches that the sin of all sinners is exceedingly sinful in the eyes of God. And God calls it wicked. So just understand that biblical idea of wickedness. Now the verse sets before us the idea of saying to someone who is living wicked that they are in the right. Right? They're just, you're, oh yeah, you're fine, you're good. You know, maybe the, their behavior comes up and it's just, we, we don't, you know, we kind of condone it or, or just downplay it. We are constantly, because we don't live in a cave somewhere, we are constantly confronted by the sinful behaviors of people around us, right? Uh, substance abuse, lying. I mean, I've heard people talk about cheating on their taxes, you know, with sort of a smirk on their face, like they're proud of themselves. Uh, dishonesty in business, kind of ruthless business tactics of just, you know, really squashing the competition in unethical ways, uh, taking advantage of the poor, happens all the time, vandalism, adultery, fornication, stealing, pornography, greed, and many other things. We are, these things, these things come in our face, right? Um, with, might be people we're working with or right around the dinner table at Thanksgiving uh, or just different friend circles that, that we're a part of. It just thing, things come up. We see things. We often find ourselves in a situation where someone is actually flaunting their sinful behavior, uh, maybe boasting of how much they can drink or whatever, how many girls they slept with and different things like that. We've been in these situations. It's clear from the way that they talk about their sin that they don't see it as sin, right? They just, the Bible says, um, you know, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Uh, there was a time in Israel's history that basically God said of them that they basically did what seemed right in their own eyes. I mean, this is the culture we live in. People just pretty much define right and wrong how they want to define it. You know, it's, if they don't think it's wrong, then it's not wrong because there's no moral authority in their life. They are their own moral authority. They are God 
in a way, they wouldn't say that, but they basically will be the ultimate decider of what is right and what is wrong. And of course, that caters to what they want to do, right? Their desires. But this is kind of what we're dealing with. People are very blind to the laws of God. They don't really think that they're breaking any laws. Or if they do see it as wrong, they really don't care. Um, You get that too. So this passage in Proverbs that we're looking at is about what to do in these situations, right? Because we're going to be in these. This is a very relevant message, okay, this morning, because we're going to be in these situations. Some of you, it'll be tomorrow. Um, You know, some of you, it will be, you know, within a week. Some of us have to live in very, very uh, wicked environments uh, every single day, going to work. It's, it's a tough environment. What do we do in these situations? What do we do with these people in general? Should we just overlook everything and, well, you know, they're sinners and sinners sin, and what should we expect from them? And, you know, just kind of leave them alone and just love everybody unconditionally. Should we try to say something to them? That seems to be what the verse is encouraging, right? One thing that seems obvious is that we should never tell people who are doing something wicked that it's okay what they're doing. That would be lying, right? And I don't think we'd intentionally do that. But there are times when the pressure is intense, right? To just kind of go along. Have you been in those situations? Usually it's not like one-on-one situation. It's when you're, it's like you're there and there's like five other people. And there also, you know, some sin comes up or maybe it's pornography, okay? And, oh, and they're just all talking about, oh, pornography and this. And it's just the pressure is intense to kind of, you know, just kind of smile and just, yeah, (laughs) that's, yeah, that's really fun or whatever. It's intense, right? Because to express sharp disagreement in that moment about a person, a person's or this group's uh, lifestyle choices would cause the conversation to get really awkward really fast. How many have brought it to an awkwardness really fast? Come on, some of you have. Like, or just like they can see it on the look on your face that you are not amused by what they're talking about. You know, they're talking, about, they're, they're talking about women in a demeaning way, in a sexually disgusting way, in the locker room or whatever. And it's, they can just, maybe you don't all out rebuke them, but they can see it on the look on your face. I am not amused by that at all. Well, it gets awkward, right? And it could even get a little, they could get offended, get just, you know, a little feisty about it, start coming at us. Oh, you think you're all something? All that. It gets awkward. Now, in the passage that we read, it says that 
Whoever says to the wicked person that the way they live is in the right, is okay, this is very interesting, will be hated in the end. The Lord points to what will eventually be the result in the end for those who just tell people what they want to hear. It says this, they will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. The Lord is saying that our well-intentioned efforts to overlook or approve people's sinful behavior to keep the peace will, in the end, cause them to actually hate us. Malachi talks about this. Last book in the Old Testament. That in the end, people will feel rage. They will feel this resentment, this anger against priests and pastors who basically strengthened them in their sin and did not tell them the truth. But it's not just priests and pastors. I mean, I know as pastors, we we think about these things a lot and we feel bound uh, by our responsibility to, to tell the truth. But it's not just pastors. We're all, we're a kingdom of priests, right? It says in the, in the New Testament, we're all ambassadors of Christ. We all represent Jesus. We're all messengers of the gospel. And so we all have a responsibility to tell the truth to people that God has placed around us. Proverbs 28.23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Take that in. Now, I think there's a, a place for Christians to speak out against the evils of society, even though society doesn't think so. <laughs> Um, it certainly is um, a Bible idea. For example, Christians have condemned slavery, police brutality, oppression of the poor, abortion. Uh, they have condemned things like corporate greed, fornication, the mistreatment of women, abuse of children, sex trafficking, and many other things. The church really is often the conscience amplifier for a nation. Now that gets muddied by all kinds of false Christians and false prophets and ugly, toxic Christians that are just trying to speak for God, but it's not done in the right spirit. I understand that. It's a whole other conversation that that brings a lot of confusion. But the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, is the voice of truth it actually is salt. It's a preserver. It, it holds back. It sort of restrains evil to a, a huge extent in, in a society. And this you know, kind of uh, reminds us of how God used the prophets, right, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
but the prophets would often speak against. You know, prophets didn't just, you know, preach to the choir kind of thing. Sometimes they would, they would bring it right out there. They would prophesy against, against whole nations at times, and they would speak of the evils of a nation or of a peoples or whatever, of a king. Um, and they would call people out for their, for their evil. All this is good when it's done in the right spirit. This condemnation of societal evils, I think, may be partly what this verse is talking about. Because it even it does mention nations, right? We'll be abhorred by nations. You know, a church, it's like, basically says, oh, yeah, whatever, your behaviors, it's fine. It's fine. God is gracious. and What you're doing is fine. Um, Maybe at the time, that's exactly what society wants to hear. But as that sin that's being condoned takes its toll over years or decades, in the end, nations will abhor Christians who did not tell them the truth. Why didn't you warn us about our sin? Why didn't you tell us this sin would grow and grow and grow and eventually destroy us? will be the feeling at the end. But not in the short term. Not at all. But I believe this passage also speaks of our responsibility in more personal confrontation with people. Now, I know I'm just saying I don't like confrontation. I don't like conflict with people. Uh, I never have, even though I got in a lot of fistfights as a teenager. I wasn't looking for them. Um, they, they came looking for me. And I, I've never liked conflict. I like to be at peace with all people, and I like that harmony. So the temptation is pretty huge for, for me to, you know, to not speak the truth in certain settings. And maybe you resonate with that. I mean, some people just like rebuking people, and that's, they have their own issues. That's, a, that's not a healthy thing. <laughs> I think if we love to rebuke people, that's, I don't know. We need to come to Jesus. <clears throat> but when we get up close to people, right, in a work setting or family, friends, whatever, we, we begin to see things, which it's hard, right, to, to see things. It's hard to see sin, in, in people's lives. But knowing as followers of Jesus who understand the scriptures and understand uh, how God feels about sin and what sin does, that sin is destructive. You just, you want to do something about it, right? You want, you want, to, you want to save them from their sin. You know, you want, you want to get that thing off of them. You know, it's like a, it's like a cancer almost. You, you just, you, you want them to be free of that thing because you know that ultimately it will destroy their lives. But it's it's not easy to do. It's not easy to talk to people about their sin. People are very touchy about their sin, especially sins that they love. They really love. I mean, when I was 19, 20 years old, I had a love affair with certain drugs. And so when Christians came along and said, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You know, that's, that's not pleasing to God. I mean, talk about, you're touching my 
you're touching my baby. You know, this is something that I, I love. There was so much of my mind and heart that was invested into loving this particular thing. And somebody comes along and tells me I shouldn't be doing that. Talk about phew, some rage. So it is a massive temptation for us as followers of Jesus to avoid speaking truthfully to people around us, practicing wicked things. I would say that if we confront people about their sin, in most cases, it will not go well. At least that's what I've found. It will be disruptive. It will strain the relationship. We could lose our jobs. We could be socially marginalized or canceled. It could provoke the person to anger or even rage. It could result in physical assault. I'm looking at Charlie and Heidi back there who have uh, you know, served in India throughout the years in the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus. It's not just that people get perturbed by it. Sometimes it gets, it gets violent. But this shouldn't surprise us because it's all through the Bible. You know, in the short term, Speaking the truth about a person's sin can have negative effects, right? That's, that's kind of my point here. We have to understand that speaking truth will bring a measure of social suffering in our lives. It just, it is. This is part of being a Christian. You know, I wish we could, you know, do it a different way, do it like everyone loves us. Uh, Jesus said, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. You know, there, there is a cost to following Jesus and, and being a truth teller. And again, Christians are trying to do it both ways. We want both. We want, we want Jesus. We want like, to love Jesus and have all of his blessings. But we also want to be loved by everybody in the world, too, and everybody around us. We just want, to, we want everybody to think we're wonderful. And yet the scriptures paint a very different picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that there is a cost to this. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And even like, I am not of this world, Jesus said, so my disciples are not of this world. And Peter put it this way, do not be surprised um, if you suffer about the fiery trials that, could try you. I mean, the book of Peter really, it's not talking about, um, I don't know, uh, suffering, you're going to break your leg or something like that. It's really talking about persecution and was, you know, getting them ready for the great persecutions in the late first century under Nero. But Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, Isaiah was sawn in two, Jeremiah was hurled into a cistern, John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen, in the New Testament, was stoned to death. Paul was beaten and imprisoned multiple times. Peter was crucified upside down. The disciples were beaten. Why? For speaking the truth. They suffered in these ways because they called out wickedness 
in their day. And many, many examples could be given from church history as well. Now, it's understandable that we would avoid telling people that we know and love the truth about their sin. It's understandable because we, we, we don't want to stir up conflict. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to upset anybody. Our avoidance of speaking, speaking the truth, I would say, is, is well-intentioned. Almost always, it's, it's well-intentioned. You know, we, wanna, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep, keep the peace. When we see someone we know doing something that isn't right, we are tempted to overlook it. Or at least downplay it. In the short term, it works too, doesn't it? When we do that. I've done it. So, I mean, don't, don't act like you haven't done it. We've all, I think, done this at times when we get in these high-pressure situations, especially when we're outnumbered. I remember this thing I was a part of. Man, the temptation was so thick. You could cut it with a knife. I was like with probably 35 to 40 people who were, I mean, on the forefront of thinking that was not Christian. I'm in this thing with them for days. And man, the temptation was so massive at times to not say what I believed about certain things. Because if we, uh, we kind of go along with, with things, it, it keeps the peace, right? They may even increase their affection for us. They might even be a little relieved if we affirm their sinful behavior. They might even praise us for not being one of those judgmental Christians. And it just feels so good at the moment. And I'm, I'm saying this from experience because I've, I've done this at different points in my life. It just feels right. It feels like you're winning the person with love. In this passage and throughout Scripture, the Lord calls us to a very different way of dealing with sin. We're called to expose it. We're called to confront it. We're called to rebuke the wicked, as it says in this, these verses in Proverbs. And it's, it's a challenge. But we have to forfeit short term peace for the sake of preparing people for eternity. We have to have that long-term vision of eternity or else we'll never do it. Why would we, why would we speak truth to somebody and, and upset them and or just rock their whole world and our relationship now is with them maybe strained? Why would we ever, ever do that? unless we knew deep down that this could prepare them for eternity. Most people will not respond positively to a rebuke of their sin, but listen, some will. And this is a whole other sermon in itself, but I'll just say a few sentences here. Unless a person 
is convicted of their sin, they won't care much about the message of God's grace. We really do need to understand that. The Bible puts it this way. The law, the laws of God are a tutor that leads us to Jesus. If we just tell people God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, all right, they'll just shrug their shoulders and walk away. As one preacher put it, you know, if you say God loves you and you know, they'll just think, well, great, I love me too. And they'll walk away. See, it's that conviction of sin, that understanding, that, revela- that difficult revelation that we are sinful creatures before a holy God. It's that uncomfortable revelation that breaks us and causes us to really come to God and turn away from our sin and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. But, you know, again, we just want to skip that. We want to do it differently. You know, we almost, we almost feel like we're smarter than the characters in the Bible and the New Testament followers of Jesus who, man, they got beaten up and killed for no reason. They should have just went around and said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and just kept it at that. And, you know, whoever comes, comes. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. It's almost like we're the now enlightened bunch who we're going to, you know, go out there and preach a half message but a half a message is not the message of the gospel we have to tell people the truth I mean that's what we are we are people of the truth right we're messengers of God I mean I tremble at that as a preacher because I'm who am I who am I to help God with his marketing campaign, you know? Who am I to say, God, eh, the message is a little, it's a little strong. I mean, to, to point out people's sinful actions, and I don't think that's a good idea. I feel like we should just keep it, keep it light, keep it soft, keep it sweet. You know, let's just go out there and tell, tell people that you love them. I feel like the people need to know that. And you have a wonderful plan for their life. Let's just, all this stuff about sin and judgment. I don't think we should, we should include that in the message. I'm being a little funny, but this is literally what we do. Somehow in our minds. Like we're kind of improving on, it's almost like we're saying like, yeah, God doesn't get it. You know, God doesn't get how the culture is. That this isn't going to go over well. As if it's, Really? You know, like he doesn't know? He knows exactly what the culture is like. And he's called his men and women to be proclaimers of the truth. And tens of thousands have been martyred because of it. Well, it says um, in Ecclesiastes 7 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Whoa. But let me say this a rebuke can save someone's life. 
A rebuke can shake a sinner's fragile justification. It can cause a person to tremble and break before the living God. A rebuke can set someone off into an existential crisis that leads them ultimately to repentance. A rebuke can be life-giving to those who receive it. It can raise a person out of bondage, out of their darkness, and bring them into a relationship with God. A rebuke is a good thing. I'll be forever grateful that when I was completely blind to my sin, I was an evangelist for my particular sins. That's how much I believed that they were okay. At least part of me, or most of me. It was basically my own self-deception. But I was so blind to my behavior being sin before a holy God that, you know, I had somebody come and talk to me straight up about my, about my sin. Now, this was somebody I knew. I knew his life. I, we were friends. Um, there was a degree of trust. But as I said before, I was engaged in abuse of alcohol and drugs and all the other things that go along with that, like lying and stealing and fornicating. And this Christian told me with utter seriousness and concern that my life was not pleasing to God and that the path that I was on leads to hell. To say it uh, mildly, I mean, I was not excited about these words. I was ripped and let him know how I felt about it. But it shook me to the core. I didn't know what to do with it. And I think I've told the story, too, that a couple of years earlier, somebody basically told me, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He, you know, he's a father in heaven. He cares about you. And, and I'm, doing, I'm tripping on acid. I'm doing coke at the time. I'm like, I'm doing whatever I feel like doing. I was like, this is great. Glad to hear that God loves me. This is wonderful. And so I just took that message of God's love and just went out and did more drugs. It wasn't until this moment when somebody had the guts to look at me in the eye with concern and say, dude, you are on the wrong path. Like this is going to kill you and you are not going to spend eternity with God unless you turn your life around. Very compassionate, but very sober. And it totally shook me. Now, I had been rebuked by parents and coaches and teachers many times in my life, but this rebuke really cut me to the heart. It rang true. And shortly after, about two months after, there it was. I'm bawling before the living God, and he's filling me with the Holy Spirit and turning my life completely around. That was, what, you know, 32 years ago. I've never turned back. It was such a deep conversion that happened, but it was catalyzed by strong words. 
that I did not like in the short term. But they weaseled their way into the deep of my heart and affected me. The word rebuke means to express sharp disapproval for someone's actions. But I want to give some cautions here. It doesn't mean it's demeaning or in a scolding manner. To rebuke someone isn't to, uh, you know, get in their face. And uh, almost like, you know, the picture that comes to mind is the baseball coaches that come flying out of the dugout and they just get in the, in the face of the umpire and they're screaming, like rebuking the, the umpire for a bad call. I had this teacher uh, in science class in high school who would rebuke kids that weren't paying attention by taking the eraser and just hurling it. I mean, it wasn't like a lot. Hurling the eraser full of chalk and it would just like hit a kid in the side of the face and just like a puff of like chalk smoke would come up and the kid would just be knocked off balance and then followed up would be like verbal lashing by the teacher. That's kind of what we think of sometimes. Maybe I've told this story before in first grade. Our first week in, in our Catholic school, first grade, we're all like these little tiny kids, you know. And the nun was, I think, seven foot uh, eight. Um, I mean, she looked that tall. To, you know, she just was this tall lady. And some kid must have heard a word that his older brother said at some point and it just came out of his mouth. I don't know what word it was, but it was something. It was something dirty. It was something. And it came out. And all we know is this kid was dragged to the side of the classroom in front of all of us where the sink was and the soap was and this giant bar of soap was being shoved down his throat over and over again, followed by, again, verbal just crushing verbal words. I mean, I don't think anybody swore after that in, in school, but that's what we think of sometimes when we think of rebuke. But that is not at all what we are called to. Maybe a better word is admonish. It's a fatherly word, isn't it? To, admo- to, to love so deeply. There's a, a seriousness. I've admonished my children at times, you know, really passionately and because I love them so deeply that I, I'm pleading with them with a, a sense of conviction because I want to pull them maybe away from something or convince them of a thing, warn them about something. So a godly rebuke is clothed with compassion. It's often born of tears. Uh, I mean, Jesus instructed us, if we're going to remove a speck from someone's eye, that's a delicate thing, right? I don't think I've ever done that. But, you know, sometimes people do that for each other, and it's like you got to, Stay still, and you got to trust the other person. It's a very gentle thing, delicate thing, right? And he also said, being kind of funny, you got to remove the plank out of your own eye if you're going to remove the speck from a brother's eye. There has to be love and compassion. To see a person's sin clearly and to point it out to them can be damaging 
if done in the wrong spirit. And we've all seen that. Sometimes people rebuke others in a a way that's very condescending, even a little mean-spirited. And we we, we don't want to do that. We we never, never, never want to do that. We want to be pray something through, really ask God for his heart in it. Uh, Honestly, the best rule would be to rebuke someone else the way you would want to be rebuked. And you say, well, I don't want to be rebuked. (laughs) But, you know, okay, let's just say you had to be rebuked. Like how, how, what would that look like? Right? What would that look like? Wouldn't that be gentle? Wouldn't the context of that be concern and care? You know, that, that's how we want to do it. Why don't, we want to kind of make it easy for the person to come away from the sin, not scold them. You know, when, when you get scolded, you just, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I just, I'd kind of dig in further. You know, I don't want to, now I, don't, now I really don't want to give up this sin because of the way you're scolding me about it, right? But when somebody is gentle, motherly, fatherly, it just, yeah, oh. They're almost saying in so many words, you're, you're better than this. You know, there's something better. This is, this is not, not going to help you to be who God designed you to be. There's more. I want to see you free. And it, it, it helps you to respond in a positive way. So it should be done humbly and in a way that the person feels we are, we are for them. All right, I'm coming in for a landing. It perhaps goes without saying, I do want to add these things here at the end, that God isn't telling us to rebuke every person that we see who is in sin, okay? We shouldn't do that. You know, there's a time to overlook people's sin. Jesus did this. If Jesus rebuked every single sin he saw in every single person, like he, that's all he would talk about. That's all he would do. He didn't do that. Sinners, even some of the worst sinners of society, actually felt really comfortable around Jesus, and they were drawn to him uh, precisely because he did overlook a lot. Now, eventually, he would kind of get to, you know, calling them out of their sin, but it wasn't every five minutes. You know, he gave them time. He was patient. There's a right time and a wrong time to challenge someone regarding their sin. For example, it's usually, usually not the best time to address a person's sin when Other people are present as it brings unnecessary embarrassment. It's usually not the best time when the person is overtired or cranky or angry. Again, the principle of like, I don't want to be rebuked if I'm like hangry, right? If I'm, uh, I haven't gotten sleep. That's the last thing I want is somebody to like rebuke me. You know, so do unto others as you would want them to do uh, to you. It's also, I think, not a great idea to rebuke someone who you don't know. Now, yeah, I understand the Spirit could really lead us in some situation to really call out evil in a person. I think that would be the exception to the general rule. Um, I think the first posture should be getting to know people, listening, uh, developing trust, Again, I don't want to be called out for my... Even if the person's right, if I don't even know the person, they're just coming out of the blue and just giving me this, like, hey, you know, this... All right, you know, I'll probably 
pray about what they say, but it's, it's kind of unnecessarily jarring to do that. I think uh, the best rebukes happen in the context of loving, trusting relationships and friendships. That's why a rebuke is really powerful when it comes from a parent, right? Because parents like pour their lives out so much, They're loving and serving and doing all that. And I know all parents are imperfect or whatever, but, you know, let's take maybe the, the better examples of parents, imperfect but good parents, you know, they're just loving, pouring out, and then when they speak something that's potent about the way you're living, it, it like really, it really goes deep, you know, it can really mess you up in a, in a good way. But my point is that to offer a rebuke is a very sensitive matter and should be done at the right time. Well, this passage offers also a tremendous promise to us if we are faithful in this call to rebuke the wicked. It says that we will have delight and a good blessing will come upon us. It doesn't mean that we'll delight in upsetting people. No, we're going to be upset if they're upset. We're going to feel that. But the delight speaks of God's pleasure on us that we're even paying a price socially and and you know experiencing maybe a measure of persecution or discomfort socially for the sake of loving that person and God just he says I, I I'll bless you for that I will feel delighted in you for being a faithful Messenger. Lastly, and this is my last little paragraph. In this passage, the writer employs what kind of seems like a funny image of a kiss on the lips to really drive home his point. He says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And, of course, the whole context of rebuking the wicked, and this is what, kind of what we're talking about, just and giving somebody an answer that they really do not want to hear is like a kiss on the lips. Uh, the epistles say, greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know what you think of, you know, when you think about kissing somebody on the lips. I come from, on my mom's side, an Italian culture, and they kiss you on the lips, Men do as well sometimes. <laughs> but I have memories of my Italian aunts, you know, with a lot of lipstick just smothering me with kisses. You know, that's what you do. You just, it's an affectionate thing. And oh, Scotty. You know, and they would just grab me and just, just plant their lips. And I, I don't know, I, it was, it was kind of nice. <laughs> You know, when you're seven years old and you just kind of, you feel really loved by this, uh, covered with lipstick afterward. But God is saying that an honest rebuke is like a kiss on the lips. There's a, there's a kind of irony about that statement, right? It's like saying a slap on the face is like a hug. Like, it's, what? They don't go together. 
But this is what God is saying. Telling someone the truth about their sin is actually, from God's perspective, an act of tender love. Even though it doesn't seem like it is in the short term. And that's the point of these verses. So let's kiss people in this way. Let's pray for compassion and courage to speak plainly to people because it could change somebody's life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. We're, I'm, we're just going to end it here. We're not going to do... We already did a pretty good long block of worship, and I've probably worn you out with this message. Hopefully not. Uh, hopefully it's something you just think, think about, ponder, talk about at lunchtime. Because it's, it's something that we're really tempted to not do, right? I know I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't even want to think about these verses in Proverbs. I don't want to tell anybody anything negative, you know, but we're bound by the truth. So let's pray together. Father, can you please help us with this? We <clears throat> confess, Lord, that we, we often don't want to be just plain with people. I mean, we've been in those situations where people are asking us questions about what we think about different things, and maybe we don't outright lie, but we definitely just kind of dodge the question, skirt the issue, change the subject. Um, and maybe sometimes that, that's wisdom to do that because it's not the right place to do But Lord, help us to say what you want us to say in, in whatever situation that we're in. Lord, just help us not to back down. Help us not to hold back. Help us to just take it. If the person is upset or the person doesn't now like us or now we're on the bad side of this person or our boss at work or whatever it may be, Lord, help us just to kind of swallow that unpleasantness for the sake of love, for the sake of planting a seed of truth in a person's heart that could actually grow up into full-blown salvation and could change a person's life. Lord, we need your help with this. Help us not to be cowardly, but to be courageous. Um, Lord, we are weak. I am here standing here as, as weak as anybody in this area. Um, I ask for boldness. I think of Acts chapter 4 when they just cried out to you and said, Lord, stretch forth your hand. And grant us boldness that we can speak of the excellencies of Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for listening this morning. Um, and again, just you know, feel free to stick around, fellowship. I'll be around if you have questions. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us today.